It's the way it is. I love it. So what we're going to talk about today is not ashamed of the gospel. And of course, um, I, I was thinking about this is that we just talked about this Go 2020, and we'll look at that in a minute. But this is the year of his salvation. So every year, I think it's past 12 years or 13 years, we've had a theme every single year. And this year, the theme is, is the year of his salvation, his salvation. So it focuses on him and his plans and his purposes and his goals, that he wants to bring his salvation to us. And I just happened to listen yesterday to a sermon by uh, Michael Brown, and one of the things he had done is he has a book about this thick that's uh, on, uh, on healing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one of the things he says is that the, the, the idea of healing and salvation is every aspect of our life. It's not just our salvation of our soul. It's not just the spiritual aspect of it, but he comes He comes to save us from sin. He comes to save us from sickness. He comes to save us from Satan, the power of Satan, so that we can be set free. He comes to deliver us and just bring his wholeness into our hearts. He heals the brokenhearted so that his healing and his salvation is actually um, a fullness of of his ministry. So salvation's not just a spiritual aspect. We've got to broaden that because that's the truth of it. So this is the year of his salvation. It's the year of his outpouring. He's always been doing this, but again, what what he does when he gives us a focus is it's a focus. It helps us to get our attention on something that he wants to do or that he's doing in our hearts and minds. And so with this Go 2020, I thought it was so fascinating that this has, has come up and that four squares a part of it. And that's how I heard of it because our, um, our president sent us information on this. And I thought, boy, does that ever fit in with, with the theme that God's given us this year. And so it's the year of his salvation. And Go 2020 is reaching out, touching people, and specifically seeing, I, I think this will be good, seeing how many people that we can help come to know Jesus during the month of May. And it's not just like a project. What it is is it's an opportunity. I think we have to look at it that way and that we're going to have actual opportunity to do this. So you, most of you probably know that not ashamed of the gospel comes out of the letter of Romans chapter 1. So it's Paul speaking. And he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I, I want to read this again. And there's three things I want you to think of as I go through the book of Romans, first eight chapters with us, and look at an overview of what that is. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. 
the message that we proclaim is the power of God. And it says, for salvation. So the gospel is the power of God. It's released when we speak. And it's also the power of God for a specific purpose, which is salvation. To come to his saving grace in whatever area that it is. It says, to everyone who believes. So there has to be this idea of a message that's proclaimed in the power of God that will bring people to a faith and a trust. And so what I wanted to do, the gospel, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? I think, I think uh, the place where it's really strongly communicated is Romans chapter 1 through 8. And uh, so we're going to just look at an overview of those chapters. So Romans chapters 1 through 3 really have one message. And here's the declaration of that. Every single person has gone their own way and is in need of a Savior. In other words, every single person, all have sinned, is what the Scripture says. And so you go, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person, and we'll see why later, but every single person has gone their own way and it needs a Savior. So all have sinned. And because of sin, all are separated from God. Sin separates us from him because he's holy and he cannot allow that uh, there's a barrier that's between us because of our sin. And all of us are spiritually dead until we come to know Jesus. Every single person alive is born spiritually dead. And again, we'll see this in another chapter. Um, But God has an answer for that, which is really good. So chapters 1 through 3 is the beginning of the good news. And you go, man, this... What do you mean good news? It sounds terrible. All of us are sinners. We're all, everyone's separated from God. Everyone's, but that's why there's good news. We're in, we're in trouble. We have problems. We have things that we can't deal with ourselves because there's no way we can ever, ever take care of the gulf between us and God. And so there's, there's just nothing we can do. But then God sent Jesus. And this is the good news. You, to have the good news, you have to have the bad news right? The good news is, bad news is we've sinned. The good news is God has a plan and he does it through faith. And so if you go to Romans chapter four, then what you begin to hear is this, that we are justified or made righteous, made without sin through faith, that we're justified by faith. And so Here's what it talks about. It talks about us being made righteous. And it's not according to the law. It's not according to our own works, but it's according to his grace. God's grace, his his wonderful gift of grace so that it's available to every single person. And that's what it says, that that it's not according to the law because then only those who who were under the law and became Jews and all those kind of things could be saved. But what he is saying is very simple, that, that it's because it's through faith, because it's through belief, just like Abraham before the law even came into being. He believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. 
And so there's something powerful that takes place here in, in the sense that, that God's made it available to every single person on the face of the earth. It's available for everyone. And then Romans chapter 5 starts talking to us about the peace of God. That we now have peace with God because we've been cleansed. We've been justified by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so because Jesus died, we can now be reconciled to God. And so reconciled means a relationship is restored. Now there's no more separation. Now there is a joining together. Now there is a connection that takes place because of this. So the thing that is pointed out also in chapter 5 is that through Adam, through one man's sin, death came into the world and death came to every one of us. That's something that that was very clear. But he says then there's the second Adam. And that second Adam is Jesus Christ. And it says, through Jesus, righteousness came and eternal life through him and through what he's done for us. So the good news is is that Jesus has made a way. Jesus can cleanse us, just like these kids up here were talking about, how they had their guilt and they had their sins written down and then they painted the red blood over it, you know, to represent the blood of Jesus. And they said, free because Jesus brings freedom and liberty. And this is the whole thing. That now, so now we have, have the first portion of this is that all have sinned and fallen short of God, but through Jesus we can be justified by faith, by believing, and we can have peace with God, be reconciled to him and have a relationship and have eternal life in us because of what Jesus has done. But then it goes on. In chapter 6, it says that we've died to sin. That's, that's the whole gist of what's taken place. And here's what he says in Romans 6. When we were baptized, it's a picture of us dying to sin. And when we came up out of the water, it represents us coming up to new life. But here's what he says. He says our old self was crucified. When Jesus was crucified... Our old self was crucified. When we go under the water, again, it represents going into the tomb, just like Jesus did. And coming up out of the water represents new life. So he says that we, we have died to sin. Our old self was crucified, but we're raised to a newness of life. That's the whole picture. That's the beauty of baptism. And that's why I think it's pretty important to go underneath the water and come up because that's what it represents that's what it pictures and so then what he talks about because we've been crucified with christ that we are dead to sin but alive to god we're dead to sin but alive to god and then he goes to the wonderful chapter seven which a lot of people some, some people say it's, it's uh, Paul before he was converted. Some people say it was Paul as a believer. And all these struggles went on. But anyway, here's my take on Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is we can't overcome sin in our own strength. We just can't do it. We can't overcome it. Because chapter 7 begins to talk about being sold into the bondage of sin. That we're sold in this bondage and it's something 
that, that controls and grips us. And Paul says, you know, I'm doing the very things I don't want to do. With my mind, I'm saying God's stuff is good. What he says is right. But then in my flesh and in my own ability, I'm doing the very things I don't want to do. And then he says, that proves that my heart's right, that, that I want to do the right thing. But then he goes, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? Well, if you stop there, which you don't want to do, that's where sometimes chapters don't do you very good uh, because you might stop there. And then, oh, chapter 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of in, of sin and death that what's talking about here is that through Jesus Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit and you'll see this because it talks about as we go through Romans chapter 8 it talks about we're not under condemnation we're freed from that we're not held under by the law and the power of the law we're set free to walk in the liberty and the life that he has he says for those who walk according to the spirit and that means that we're letting him empower our lives now i say this every once in a while i just want to remind us some people call the holy spirit a it the bible calls the holy spirit a he not that he you know when a spirit's a spirit but we i want to be biblical you know and i don't want to call it, the holy spirit's not an it it's the third he's the third person of the trinity that's who he is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's a person in, in you know, if you go through the scriptures, he, he can be grieved, his heart can be, be uh, touched and has emotions and, and everything, just like the Father and just like Jesus. And so we don't want to make the Holy Spirit some ethereal thing that's just out there kind of floating around or some, some power that's just floating around. The Holy Spirit is the part of the Trinity, the triune God. And so we have to remember that. And so when we're walking according to the Spirit, we're allowing the Spirit of God that lives in us. Do you remember it says that when we come to Christ, what happens is our spirits come alive. We're come alive in Jesus. We're no longer spiritually dead, but we're alive. We have that relationship with God. We're walking with God. And now he wants us to learn to walk in the Spirit. And learning to walk in the Spirit means I'm learning to depend upon the power of God, not my own abilities to overcome the things in my life. Because it's the blood of Jesus who takes care of them. It's the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I was watching a video I did the other day because uh, I was trying to put something together for someone. And, and uh, in it, I talk about the very first statement I make is this. You cannot live the Christian life in your own strength or your own ability. It's not going to happen. That's why the Holy Spirit came. That's why the Holy Spirit lives in us and dwells in us. So there's this walking according to the Spirit. It says putting to death the deeds of the flesh. We have to make choices and decisions, but once we make that choice and that decision, the, the power of God comes in and helps us. We have to make that choice 
to do what God says. And then that's when the power comes. That's when things begin to happen in our lives. And it says that as sons and daughters, it says those who are led by the Spirit are his sons and daughters. So there's this idea of being directed. So Jesus talked about it. He said the Holy Spirit has come for what? He's come to lead us in truth. He's come to remind us of all the things that Jesus has said. He's come to be our comforter. He's come to be our guide. He's come to direct us in everything that we do. And so the Holy Spirit is a vital part of our lives. And, you know, a lot of times it's easy to, like, pray to the Father or to pray to Jesus. Holy Spirit's God. And so it doesn't hurt for you to say, help, Holy Spirit. (laughs) It doesn't hurt to ask for the Spirit for the wisdom that he wants to give. But it says that we're sons and daughters who are being led by the Spirit. And then here's the very last portion of chapter 8 says this, that through Christ, he says, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. And if we learn to walk in the Spirit, we will conquer things. Now, just think, conquering means you're fighting a battle. So don't, you know, let's not ever try to think or, or even say, like, if we're overwhelmingly conquerors, that means we're, we were in a battle. That means we're fighting. That means we're struggling with issues, but we're overcoming. We are overcoming, and that things come against us. One of the things, this, this is talking about persecution, but it can talk about other things in our life, too, I think. But, but uh, Peter says, Why? Are you acting so strange? I warned you ahead of time. You're going to be persecuted for your faith. There's going to be, Jesus warned us. He says, they hate me, they're going to hate you. And it's not just because they hate us, because they hate him. And if we're representing him, they're going to try to strike out at us. And so we understand that there's things that come against us, but to be overwhelming conquerors in the midst of them. He gives us that ability through him who loves us and through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then the very last portion says nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I didn't put that scripture up there, but I can read it. And uh, it's, it's a good one. Well, you know, well, there are bad ones. Judas hung himself. That's not a good scripture. <laughs> so there are things in the scripture that are not really truth as far as the statements that are made. Um, yeah, so, so there are good ones. Yeah, there are good ones. It says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're sealed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, That's another thing he does in our lives. And so, so when you hear this gospel... This gospel that says, okay, we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're separated from God. We're estranged from all the promises that God has. We're, we're far away from him. 
but Jesus Christ has drawn us near. He has brought us to himself, and we have this opportunity now through him to be forgiven, to be restored to God, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. This is the gospel that we can be saved through the blood of Jesus, through what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. I'm amazed at some things I've been learning All right, so I've been reading about, they, they called these, um, there's uh, massive church multiplication that's taking place in some areas of the world. And I, I, read, um, I read a book by a guy in Asia, and he started with 30 people. He had 30 people, and they were uneducated. They were farmers out in a rural area. They were all totally uneducated, couldn't read, couldn't do these things. And so he went to them and he began to work with them and began to teach them how to share their testimony, how to share the gospel, and then how to make a disciple, how to teach a disciple once they led them to Christ. And so he he began this process with 30 people. Ten years later, they had 1.7 million recorded baptisms those are the recorded ones starting with 30 people you know you say well what no way that can't happen yeah it can because actually that's that's what happened in the book of acts well they had more than they had more than 30 okay we know they had hundreds because we know that 500 saw Jesus, 500 of his disciples. But that's what happened. And if you think about this, within years of of Jesus' death and resurrection, probably about 35 to 40 years, no, less than that, 25 to 30 years, it says all the known world basically had heard the gospel. Paul had to go like this. I, I'm, I'm just going to come visit you guys because I'm going where no one's preached the gospel. Everywhere in Asia, Africa, all these different locations that was in the Roman stuff, right? All the Roman Empire had heard the gospel. They had heard the proclamation. And he says, I want to go where no one's laboring. I want to go where I'm not going to work on somebody else's foundation. And so he's off to Spain. Just an amazing thing. How did that happen? There's millions of people. They figure in the Roman Empire, they have, di- you know how they have different numbers because it's hard to really figure out. That was a long time ago. But they figure at least 50 million people were in the Roman, you know, within their power and authority. 50 million. And many of them heard the gospel, they went everywhere. Not everybody accepted it, of course, because Paul got beat up everywhere he went, and and they were chasing him down and trying to get rid of him and, and putting him in prison and doing all these things. But again, the idea of rapid spreading of the gospel, it can happen, and it can take place. And especially if we learn even just some simple things of discipleship, of sharing 
things that are biblical truths and helping people just to obey them. Because isn't that what Jesus says? He says, go into all the world. And what does he say? He says that we're supposed to, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded. So you go through the commands of Jesus and say, let's do this. Let's be obedient. Let's obey what the Word of God says. And that's what we're teaching people. And so this gospel is the power of God. It's amazing. You can preach a simple gospel message where you help a person see what's going on. And if it has all of the components that are in there, people can come to Jesus. Because we remember, the gospel's the power of God. It's not our persuasion. It's not our gifts and talents and how wonderful we are and wow, you know, I really said this super awesome and so that's why they came to Jesus. No, it's the power of God for salvation. When we speak the gospel, when we speak the word of God, there's something that's released of the power of God to touch people's hearts and minds. Now, some resist it, yes. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They did it in Jesus' day, so why should we expect anything different? Why should we think, well, man, everyone should accept what I say? Well, no, they didn't accept what Jesus said. So, But we can understand that. So it's the power of God for salvation. And we know salvation isn't just believing something. It's believing in someone. It's faith in Jesus. It's never faith in just the words that are spoken. It's faith in a person and what Jesus has done and what he's accomplished. So salvation, when we bring someone to salvation, we're bringing people to Jesus. We're bringing them to the Savior. And that just says simply, for everyone who believes. And so if you think about this, without a proclamation of the gospel, people can't get saved. And he even says it in Romans later on, Romans chapter 9, it says that we have to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart the message that God raised him from the dead, then we can be saved. So there has to be a proclamation of the message. There has to be something that goes forth, and it's the power of God to bring about salvation. And so that's really important. And so with this, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Jesus and some of the things he said. I've done this study multiple times. I keep doing it all the time because I want to find out Jesus said certain things. There are certain scriptures that if you go through the scriptures, Jesus said, I came to do this. I came to do this. This is what I came for. Or this is what I was sent for. And so he's showing us and and giving us a glimpse into, it, it, it wasn't just to come and to die on the cross. There was a, a broader scope to everything that he was doing. And so I just wanted to look at some, some passages. There's quite a few of these in, in the different Gospels, and especially the Gospel of John, because Jesus is revealing some of the things that he was sent for. So... When we look at Jesus, Jesus was sent to proclaim the gospel of God. This is in his own words. He said that. <laughs> well, I guess he didn't. It says it in, in the scripture, though. Um, he talked about the kingdom of God. 
Um, let's go and look at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. So after Jesus was baptized, it says, uh, later on, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And he was saying, and there's that, he was saying, he had to proclaim it. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe what I'm saying. Change your mind and believe in what I'm saying. And so that was uh, what he began to do. And then it says in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43, Jesus had all these people following him constantly. He'd go out in the wilderness and they'd gather around him and they'd surround him and they'd do all these different things to try to keep him with them. And here's what it says. I thought this was really interesting. In uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 42, it says, When day came, Jesus left. He went to a secluded place, but the crowds were searching for him. And they came to him, and they tried to keep him from going away from them. Can you imagine? When you get a big crowd and you're in the middle, <laughs> I think they could hold him back. Well, he'd probably walk through them like he did the others, but when they wanted to hurt him and harm him. But it says they wanted to keep him there. But here's what Jesus said to them. I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. So part of his ministry was to preach the gospel. We know that from Luke chapter 4 verse 18. It says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. The gospel to the poor. The good news. And so Jesus came to do that. And what he did is he went in all of the cities, all of the different locations within within uh, Israel to preach and to bring them the good news because that's what God had sent him to do. He's a sent one. And so Jesus said this too in John 4.34. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He says, What I'm doing is I'm getting nurture from this. There's, a, there's something that that's... That's my food. Of course, he ate food. But he was, he was giving us a picture of his heart. He says, my heart is to do the will of God and to complete the work that he sent me to do. And so he understood what he was sent for. He understood what he was to do. And he was to preach this. And then when Jesus was talking in John 7, he says, you know, my teaching's not mine but it's his who sent me. And so God sent Jesus to declare a message, the same message actually, well, similar message of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came, said, prepare, you know, repent and prepare the way for the kingdom of God is at hand and one is coming who's even greater than I am, whose, whose laces of their sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. That one's coming. And then when Jesus came, uh, John pointed to him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he is. And when he pointed to Jesus, some of the disciples began to follow him. And he began to call them to himself. And then um, 
he began to bring them with him and showing them everything that he was doing, which is an amazing thing. And then the night when Jesus was betrayed, he had a prayer. And here's what he said. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, is to know the Father and to know his Son, who he sent. Christianity, if, if we understand it for what it truly is, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. It really is. It can turn into a religion if we make it by all the doctrines and doing all this stuff. We need to know the truth. We need to know that. You guys know I'm crazy about that, and I have my doctorate and all that jazz, so it's not like I don't study this stuff. But ultimately... What Jesus said is that you search the scriptures because in it you think you're going to find life. But the scriptures point to me. That's what he said. All these scriptures, all the things that are spoken of here point to me in a relationship with me. And how he talked to some of the Pharisees and said, you know, you, you're, you're not coming to me. You're not coming. You're not responding. You're not coming to the one that the scriptures talk about. And so the focus is a relationship, and that's what eternal life is, is knowing the Father and knowing Jesus. Well, guess what? We're sent to do the very same thing that Jesus did in this sense of proclaiming. Obviously, we don't go to the cross. We're not the Savior, but we are proclaimers. And so here's what Jesus said in this prayer in John chapter 17, the night he was betrayed. He says, as you, he's talking to the Father, now he's praying, he says, if you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And part of what he sent them into the world for was to proclaim and preach. Now, I want to look at those words real fast. In the Greek, you know, I can give you the fancy Greek names and all that stuff. It doesn't do you much good, unless it's a smaller one, because some of them are so long. To proclaim means to announce in a formal or an official means as a herald. We're to proclaim the gospel. We're to preach the gospel. So proclaim means we're standing up in God's name, proclaiming the truth. Isn't that what Jesus always said? I'm only speaking the words he's told me to say. I'm only saying what the Father's saying. I'm only doing what he's doing. And so when we stand up and we say that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, that he was buried, that death couldn't hold him in the ground, that he was raised on the third day because he was righteous and God was vindicating him, and he rose again from the dead, when we begin to proclaim those things, uh, that's the gospel. That's the things that we need to do. And... He says, if you, uh, so it's an official announcement. It's a declaration from a herald. Now, do you know what a herald is? 
<laughs> well, a herald is a person that's officially appointed by like a government official, whatever, to declare good news. Officially. Now, if we remember the scripture, it says that, that God's made all, all of us ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ and we're imploring people to come to the Lord. And so there's this thing where we proclaim. And see, this is what I want us to maybe grab hold of if, if we can because of that passage of Scripture. The gospel is the power of God. When we proclaim it, it can do something in a person's heart who believes. To preach is another word. And it has to do with to tell the good news or to announce the gospel, to proclaim, to declare, to announce. And so both of these come from a similar angle. One is that you're officially speaking these things, but the other is to tell the good news, is to speak forth the good news. So we have officially been called to do this. And then here's the call. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized, shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And so this really is, is kind of an important thing. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, every time it's preached, people hear it. And as they hear it, if they respond, they come to the Lord and they, they do what he's asked them to do is repent and believe, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead then they're going to be saved. But those who disbelieve, they're under condemnation already. Just kind of an interesting thing. They shall be condemned. And here's what it says. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 40. He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. And so... Jesus said it this way. He says, I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And so here he's saying it in a different way. When you receive me, you receive the Father. When we receive Christ, we come into that relationship with God. We come into that relationship with Jesus. And so that really becomes important. So the thing that I want to do and uh, for anyone who's here listening or anyone who's listening like on the internet when this thing goes out, if you're listening and you've never truly understood that what you need is a relationship with God, that you must come to him and that you must repent of your sin, that you must believe that Jesus died for you, that he paid the penalty for your sin so that you could now be forgiven and come to God. If you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity to say, yes, I, I want to enter into that relationship with God because I understand it. I, uh, I'm always reminded of that one story. We had a person that was involved in our church probably for over a year and I did just what I did. I just gave this uh, opportunity to respond to Christ, to believe him for cleansing of your sins and forgiveness. And she raised her hand, and I said, later on, I said, why did you do that? 
She goes, I finally understood it. She'd been in church. She could say all the right words. She could do everything proper, you know. She knew all the stories and all the things. But she said, what happened is my eyes were opened. And so I just want to give opportunity for that, that if you would like to accept Christ, that you just say, yeah, that's me. Just raise your hand and say, me, I'm doing it. <laughs> say, I'm doing it. And so if you're listening, we just want to pray this prayer. And we want to ask God to come and to move and to forgive and cleanse. So let's just repeat this together, everyone in the room here. Dear Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I confess that I've fallen short of your glory and that I need a Savior. And I choose today to put my trust in Jesus Christ that his death on the cross paid for all my sin and that his going in the grave represents me dying with him and that his resurrection symbolizes me raising to new life. I choose today to believe that, to confess it with my mouth, and I give myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord is good. Wahoo! And his mercy endures forever. So go in his grace, go in his life and his abundance. Lord, I just speak your blessing. I speak blessings of health. Lord, as we... There's so much going on with flu. There's been so much going on with this virus that's going throughout the world. So we just speak the name of Jesus. We ask blessings upon this house. We ask blessings upon this city. We ask you to protect and to keep us, Lord, from sickness and disease. We ask for your favor to be upon us. We ask as we go that your presence would go with us and lead us and guide us in, in the paths of your truth. In Jesus' strong name. Amen.